So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Truth and reconciliation. We've heard a lot about these words in the past few months, and even this week on September 30th, on Thursday. The banks were closed, the post offices were closed, a lot of the government offices were shut up. Um, everything was closed to commemorate the tragic legacy of residential schools in Canada. There is a valid and obvious case of wrongs committed to Indigenous peoples in Canada. Over the uh, past several months, I've had the opportunity to read a lot about it. We have one daughter that works with Indigenous peoples and another daughter that has several books that discuss the wrongs to Indigenous people. And they have faced overt discrimination over many decades. Recent information about residential schools that has come out should sadden us all. The efforts to assimilate indigenous peoples into Western culture, the way they went about it, was wrong. There was corporal punishment for young native students that spoke their native tongue, their heart language. They were submitted to poor living conditions as well as violent and abusive behavior. And we're finding out that many um, were not given human dignity by notification of family of illness, injury or death. Legal death certificates were not completed and many, many burial locations were not marked. There are continuing refusals by some to turn over what uh, document, documentation does exist. Indigenous peoples have faced over the years many broken treaties and clean drinking water is not regularly provided. Proper investigations are not completed for cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women. When the words truth are, and reconciliation are looked for or are, are used, what are the Indigenous people looking for? With truth, they're looking for a thorough investigation. They want a full acknowledgement and admission of wrongs. Reconciliation, what are they looking for? A renewed nation-to-nation -nation relationship with indigenous peoples based on a recognition of rights and respect and cooperation and partnership. Reconciliation with Canada's peoples is long overdue. Correcting wrongs committed to our fellow man is consistent with biblical teaching. 
As believers, we should pray that there would be admissions of wrongs and renewed relationships, but not only with Canadian indigenous peoples, but between the many peoples across the world that are experiencing discrimination and conflict and persecution. Sadly, we know that man's fallen sinful nature hinders complete peace and harmony with all peoples between each tribe, language, people, and nation that God has intended. However, Christians, we must be different. We must be leaders in bringing the message here of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the world. The point of our text today, as you see in 2 Corinthians 5, is gospel truth and gospel reconciliation. For those do not, that do not believe in Christ, their relationship with God is broken. He is righteous, holy, and just. God is the one who has been wronged. We've sinned against him. And yet, God is the one who has reached out to us to bring us into right relationship with him. God then also goes on to make us agents to pass on the gospel truth to others so that they also may be reconciled to God. Isn't it true that we hate admitting when we're wrong? I think sometimes of, you know, and I don't know if this happens in your households, but, you know, husbands and wives spatting together, and, you know, who's right and who's wrong, and nobody really ever wants to give in. Or remember when mom would ask, who did that? And the kids would say, not me. Not me, not me. Well, somebody had to do it. When the teacher asks little Johnny, why is your homework not done? Well, the dog ate my homework. We make excuses. If we're caught speeding, we would say to the police officer, well, I was just following the flow of traffic. If others are found breaking a rule, they might say, well, everyone else is doing it. There seems to be a gap at times in accountability in our society. There seems to be a lot, lack of honest fessing up. What makes it so difficult for us to fess up? Because you know what the difficulty is. If people don't realize that they've wronged God, how can we witness them to them properly to get them to realize that they have gone against God? People don't want to be told that they are wrong and that they have wronged God. So why is it so hard for people to confess their sins? Well, some would say, I'm a good person. You know, I don't do this sin and I don't do that sin. And you know, when everything's weighed out, you know, I think I'll be God, good and God will accept me. And we know that's not true. Others, when they're confronted with their sin, there's an issue of pride. Some worry about negative outcomes of fessing up. You know, they might get sued, or they might go to jail, or they might get bad media, and they don't want those things to happen. They're enjoying the life they have, and so they don't want to do it. People rationalize. In today's society, they don't even think maybe they're doing wrong. They're just following the culture around them. If you look at verse 17 in our text, it mentions 
the old creation, the old has passed away. In verse 17, how does scripture describe the relationship between God and those who are outside faith in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.15, we didn't read that verse, but we will now. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. People outside of faith don't live for God. They live for themselves. They want to be in charge. They want to, uh, that's really breaking the first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, because they want to be God of their life. And sinful man builds a barrier between them and God, a dividing wall of hostility from man toward God. The Bible describes sinful man as strangers, aliens, hostile in their minds toward God, enemies of God, doing evil deeds, sinners, and deserving God's wrath. We're all sinners in need of relationship, or in relationship, we're in need of a Savior. Our relationship with God is severed, and there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to fix this. There's no amount of money, no amount of things that we can do to fix our relationship with God. God, before the foundation of the world, set forth our redemption in Christ. Christ paid the penalty for our sin. And it's there where we come to the gospel truth. 2 Corinthians 5 makes it clear that Christ is our substitute to be reconciled to God. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. In verse 15, we also read, Christ died for all. And then at the end of the verse, for our sake, died and was raised. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's a beautiful verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll do that again and fill in the pronouns. For our sakes, that's all of us or all the world, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is the power of the gospel. Now, when I mentioned Christ died for all, I don't want you to think that's a universal salvation, that everyone is going to heaven. That's not the case. Christ's death was sufficient for all to come, but only those that believe in faith will be going to heaven. What does the Apostle Paul mean by the righteousness of God? Christ lived a perfect life. He was therefore, because he was perfect, a satisfactory, atoning substitute. When God looks at us, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. God's wrath toward us is removed and our sins are covered. He credits or imputes those who believe in faith with the righteousness of Christ. And you know the best verses in the Bible that describe Christ's substitutionary death 
are found in Isaiah 53 in this beautiful prophecy. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's really interesting, this substitution or the substitutionary death. Now, I have to go to the dentist this week, and I can't have anybody substitute to go for me, but I'd like that. But that's not how that works. The closest human life example that I can think of of substitution is if somebody signed their donor card to donate um, organs and the only way that happens is if they die and then because they die somebody else lives because they get those organs and that's the and even that falls short in so many ways because Jesus Christ was perfect and Jesus substitution gives us everlasting life whereas the person that receives organs will someday die and their sins still aren't forgiven they're still outside of Christ and need Christ listen to these New Testament verses and look for the answer to this question what is required for our salvation and these are kind of companion verses to this text of 2 Corinthians 5, and you don't have to look them up, but one is Romans 5, verse 9, Ephesians 2, 13, and Colossians 1, verse 20. But uh, Romans 5, verse 9 mentions, we have been justified by his blood and saved from the wrath of God. You who, and this is uh, Ephesians 2, 13 now, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then Colossians 1, verse 20, Christ reconciles to himself all things, making peace by the blood of Christ. All three verses mention the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is what's required for salvation. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Christ, the good shepherd, gives his life for the sheep. In verse 17, there's two words, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It's those who have repented of their sin and believe in faith. Those that are saved, those that are sanctified. What does it mean to repent? In prayer, we're broken and humbly admit the wrongs that we've committed toward a holy God. Henceforth, seeking to turn away from our sin through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And what does it mean about faith? It's really believing without seeing, believing what the scriptures, scriptures say about Christ, believing the scriptures are true, and what it says about Christ is the truth. Having faith in the work of Christ on the cross, believing that the penalty that Christ paid for our sins was sufficient to satisfy God, removing his wrath and crediting righteousness to us, placing our trust in Christ, putting Christ in control of our lives. 
in verse 17. Look at the word behold. To me, behold there is a significant word. It means take notice, look and see, wonder, be amazed, contemplate and consider. Reconciliation is a new relationship with Christ. We are a new creation. We're born again. We're regenerated. Christ changes us thoroughly and completely. We have new life in Christ. A miraculous transformation has taken place. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. He brings us into a right relationship with him. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We are completely changed, and the change happens with us because God does not change. The change happens with us, but God is the one that changes us. When you think of transformation, you think through the scriptures, and especially the New Testament, there's one name that comes to my mind about an amazing transformation, and that's the writer of this portion, Paul. Consider the life of Paul. He was a Jewish leader. He knew all the Jewish laws. He enforced all the Jewish laws. He hated Christ. He persecuted the Christian believers. He was seeking to destroy Christ's church that was being built. But after Christ met Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul became himself a new creation. He loved Christ. His desire was to spread the gospel of Christ wherever he went. He taught new converts. He built churches, not buildings, but groups of people. He suffered persecution for the sake of Christ and even died for the sake of Christ. What an amazing testimony. And even over the last several months, I've heard many amazing testimonies, even from the people here in West Lord Baptist Church. People that can testify how they became a new creation. And you know, it's exciting to hear those things. And we need to hear them more often. Because really, that's what rejuvenates us, what gives us the drive to go out and want to testify more about Christ about the miraculous change in our lives when we were reconciled to God. But there's another thing that I think is associated with this new life, this new creation, that we need to behold. We need to behold God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. Because we know that we're deserving of God's wrath. We're deserving of judgment. And so we're so thankful for the mercy of God that he gives, uh, gives those who believe in faith that we don't receive that wrath. And we think of God's great love in which he loved us, lavishly pours out on us. And God's grace, his goodness that he bestows on us, his many blessings. And there's a verse in, second, in Ephesians 2 that I really like that sums up all three of these words. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
There are so many results that happen when we become a new creation, when we're reconciled unto God. The love of Christ controls us. You see, the opposite of 2 Corinthians 5, 15, or 14. Our minds become preoccupied with the things of Christ. We no longer live for ourselves. Um, we live for the sake of the one who died and was raised. Our life becomes a reflection of Christ as we're obedient to him. Our trespasses are not counted against us, 2 Corinthians 5.19. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are imputed to Christ. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west and buried in the deepest sea. The barrier that existed before, Christ breaks down the barrier between us and God. We are saved by Christ from the wrath of God and we have peace with God. We are indwelt and baptized by the Holy Spirit. We grow in the knowledge of the Lord. The Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of Scripture. And Christ commands and convicts us of our sin. Although we still have a sin nature as a new creation, we seek to eliminate sin in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have new interests. And many of our old interests are set aside. We have new priorities. We spend our time differently. We communicate differently. We find reading our Bible and singing and praying important and exciting. We have eternal life in the presence of God, a hope for the future that brings unspeakable joy. We're no longer citizens of this world. We no longer follow the philosophy of the world, things like um, materialism and all the other isms that are associated with the world when we become a new creation. Believers are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. We together serve God together as one. And then verse 19, where once there was a barrier, now God even trusts us with the message of reconciliation. We have a new allegiance. We're no longer enemies with God, strangers or aliens, but we're now ambassadors for Christ. What task do we have as ambassadors for Christ? Ambassadors represent their nation and its leadership in a foreign country. As believers, we're now in a foreign land because our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. We represent the kingdom of Christ and the reconciliation that he brings to the world. These verses here in 2 Corinthians 5 are really a missionary passage. It's an evangelism passage. Paul here was having trouble with the Corinthian church a bit. The Corinthian church didn't uh, trust Paul, and Paul was trying to reconcile him to the Corinthian church to put aside their unfounded hesitancy um, with Paul's qualifications in ministry, and what he really wanted is for the people there in the Corinthian church to come alongside him to be there with him in serving Christ. Our job as ambassadors of Christ is to invite others to become citizens of heaven. 
to, to appeal them to them to be reconciled unto God. And you think of the word appeal, appealing for others to be reconciled. In scripture here, in 2 Corinthians 5, one word they uh, used is implore. We implore them to be saved. We beg for them to be reconciled to God. We are called to be obedient in this way, to follow the great commission to make disciples. So we beg and we implore others, we appeal to them to have faith in Christ and believe and repent of their sin. So how can we be effective in representing others to Christ? And this gives us an opportunity to reflect. I know I did a lot of reflecting as I wrote these last few um, statements in here as a way of application to reflect in my life how I'm doing. Are we joyful ambassadors for Christ? You know, if we go around with a frown on our faces, we always look sad or dejected, that's not going to be attractive to others that the gospel really has meant anything in our lives. Romans 5.11 We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Look through the hymn book. How many songs and hymns are there about salvation, about God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace? Even in our songs that we sang today, those words were there. In spite of whatever circumstances we face, we are able to show others the peace and hope that we have in Christ, and that's what others are attracted to. Because they go through the same struggles we do, we go through the same struggles they do. But if they see that we have peace and hope in Christ, that should attract them to it and say, how can I have that? Are we loyal ambassadors to Christ? We're not perfect. Others know we're not perfect. But we want them to see that we're still obedient to Christ. We want to make sure that our sin is not a hindrance to the message of reconciliation. And that's why we often take account of where we're at with God. And we confess our sin as we need to. Our words can hurt. Truth, gossip, anger, if we're harsh or insensitive, and so to be loyal ambassadors to Christ as we're new creations, taking off the old clothes and putting on new clothes, we need to put those things aside. Our actions. If we speak out as an ambassador of Christ, others are watching what we're doing. And so they're looking to see that your faith and my faith is authentic. Are we loving ambassadors of Christ? You think of our relationship here in the church. We don't want infighting within the church. If others outside the church see that, what are they going to think of our faith? Our reputations within the community. Are we known for integrity? Are we known for our truth and our honesty? Our love for the lost, regardless of tribe, language, people, and nation. 
people need Jesus. And I have to confess, at times I have prejudices in my mind that affect how I think, affect how I feel, and how I act when I look at those that are different from me. And to be an effective minister of reconciliation, we need to put those prejudices aside and see all humans as needing Jesus. We're ambassadors that know the message of Christ to be able to pass it on properly. We have to be able to tell people all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we repent of our sins and believe in the cross of Christ, we yield our life to him and are reconciled unto God, and we have the forgiveness of sins and peace with God. And we have to be careful when we're giving the message of reconciliation that we don't give a false message. Just because somebody has received Christ and believed in faith does not mean their life is going to always be a bed of roses after that. There's still difficulties and trials and temptations that we have to overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even then, we can't overcome those things ourselves. We need help from God to do that. And then the um, last point here, as ambassadors, we urgently proclaim the message of Christ. Look at just into the next chapter, verse 2, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, there's lots of people that know about repentance and faith, and they put it off. They're, you know, waiting for maybe like the thief on the cross that at the last minute was able to reconcile himself unto God through Jesus Christ. But we don't know when our time or our day is going to be. So that gives us an urgency to proclaim to others because you don't know. And also if there's anyone here that has not accepted Christ, has not believed in faith, now is the favorable time. Behold now, is the day of salvation. I am going to finish off with a quote that I read just this past week. It's from John MacArthur, and it was in his newsletter that we got this week. It says this, Apart from the proclamation of God's word, there is no salvation, no eternal transformation, no spiritual growth, no real answers. As we bring God's truth to people of all ages and from all economical, ethnic, educational, regional, professional, and religious backgrounds, amazing transformations take place. Men and women are, say, are, are delivered from darkness to light, from error to truth, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness. Let's pray, shall we? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for, for this scripture from Paul that tells us how we can be a new creation in Christ. 
We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for us as a substitute, that Christ broke down the barrier between us and God, and that we can have newness of life. We can have everlasting life. We can have our sins forgiven because Jesus died and shed his blood on our behalf. Lord God, we realize that this is so hard for us to comprehend, and we thank you for the salvation that comes through Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful ambassadors, loving ambassadors, those that are loyal to you. Lord, we just pray that you would give us people that we can give the message of reconciliation to. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.